Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to UFC Roundup. Paul Felder, Michael Chiesa, uh, mind-blowing UFC 290 in the books this past weekend, Michael. But before we get into that, we got a lot to cover, a lot of amazing fights, a big upset that happened on the card, a new middleweight contender has emerged with a stamp on it. But before we get there, you're in training camp. We're about two and a half weeks out or so. How's the body feeling? How's camp going? Let everybody know where you're at, what you're doing in preparation for this. This is key, and I love that you're doing this as well. Yeah, you know, camp's been going good, man. Just getting ready for 291 in Salt Lake City. I've been staying up in Mount Charleston to get ready for the elevation. Getting the weight down a little earlier. You know, Paul, you know a lot about the science of this stuff now, especially with with your endurance training. Um, Trying to get the body lighter because of elevation, you know, it takes a lot more blood, Mm -hmm. a lot more stuff, uh, a lot more moving parts too when you're fighting the elevation. But just it adds a new wrinkle to the preparation I've been really enjoying. Um, So, yeah, so I think I'm really going to make a hard push this week start to taper off and then for the fun stuff. So just got to get through. I feel like this will be the the last really, really hard week where I'm really going to push my body, yeah. start to taper off and hit that, peak, you know? Yeah. So, and you, Paul, you're just coming off a freaking, you know, you just crushed it, made top five on the podium uh, this last weekend, eh? Yeah, man. But first, before we even do that, I love that. And for people watching at home, we'll, we'll breeze through this. Michael is sleeping at a much higher altitude than he's doing a lot of his training, which is, so key for the body to adapt to that elevation to the recovery. How high is Mount? Is it up in Charleston? Like four. So I'm staying at like 7,000 feet elevation. And then I've been getting some runs in around like eight. So yeah. And I can already feel that it's paying its dividends. When I come down low to train, like I was, I was working yesterday, we were kind of doing some, some shark tank, like wall wrestling, kind of bringing a new guy in and my partners were like, dude, you're like grabbing extra gears in rounds two, three and four and five. Like, yeah. How are you not getting tired? I'm like, well, I'm in shape and, and I'm living in elevation. In so shape, it's really paying in elevation, training lower. That, that's really key. And doing a little bit of, you know, just cardio fitness at that level where you're not going to hurt the body. You're not going to do anything damaged. I, I think that's really key. Yeah. And yeah, I raced uh, uh, Muscle Man 70.3 in Geneva, New York this past weekend. 426.26 for a 70.3. It's a huge uh, personal best for me. Um, top five in my age group. There's some fast dudes out there, man. I lost the, I was in third, then fourth, and the dude just hunted me down on the run. And obviously, I I, I spent a lot of my, I, I burned a lot of my matches on the bike. I averaged almost 25 yeah. miles an hour, uh, biked to 216 and change. So, very happy with that. Um, but good. but with that being said, let's get right into it. Okay, let's let's start with Volkanovski. Just did kind of what I think we imagined he was going to do play around on the feet go bro. He's so freaking strong. He's so versatile and he hits like a truck. When he landed that right hand, that was the beginning of the end, the ground and pound and the elbows that he was able to land. He shows the durability again. Yair had his moments on the feet. He started to let the kicks go, landed some shots, but dude, he's the best. He's pound for pound, the best active UFC fighter on the roster. Dude, I love the sequence when Volk came, kind of came in on the center line. Yair cracked him, and Volk like got in, went uppercut, hook, double, dumped yeah, him, stapled his in. leg, started in a ground and pound in a matter of like seconds. Like yeah. it was just like a lightning strike. The crazy thing is, I'm here in Las Vegas, and I've been so tired, dude. I've been I've been pushing my body pretty hard. And I was like, man, I just think I want to go watch these fights in bed. I think I'm just gonna like. Maybe I'll go watch Robbie and then I'll, you know, I'll make my way up to the mountains. And I'm so glad I stayed, especially for Volkanovsky. I mean, yeah. 
this is a guy, and, and we talk so much about how physical he is. We talk a lot about his technical skills. But I think he this fight showed he's got a really high fight IQ. Like, it, like obviously, there's a clear path to victory with Yair, but Volk really did, did a good job setting up his takedowns. You know, he did get caught with a few shots, but nobody fights Yair Rodriguez and beats him without taking damage. Like, look what, look what Max Holloway had to do, yeah. what he had to go through to get past Yair Rodriguez. So Volkanovski, to me, while the skills that we know him for were on full display, to me, I started to get a new kind of new interpretation of, of – of his fight IQ. He's a very, very smart fighter. He knows what he's doing in there. There's a, there's a, there's a reason why he does every single thing. He's not just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. No, he's got, he's a very, very smart fighter, super smart fighter, very calm, composed. The confidence that the guy walked around all week with was uh, a sight to see. I was even watching it with Christine's uncle um, when we were up there in New York. And when we rewatched it again the next day, I was kind of studying a little bit more and he, he hasn't, he doesn't know much about any of it. And he's just like, that guy's confidence tells me without even knowing he was the champ and he was the favorite, just the swagger that he walks with. And speaking of just swagger and two dudes that absolutely laid it on the freaking line in the co-main event, Brandon Moreno, new champion, Pantoja. Listen, this was close, man. This was good. This was everything that you want out of a title fight, especially when you have Brandon Moreno, you know it's going to be epic, right? The guy knows how to just scrap. It was very close. I rewatched it again, and I, I mean, you can't argue it going Pantoja's way. I can see how you could argue that maybe you thought Moreno won, depending on how you scored certain rounds. I was listening to the broadcast. I think in the moment, I didn't, in hindsight, I didn't really agree with all of what they thought some of the rounds were going and how it went. But I do agree that you can't argue that, it, it, you know, you can't complain too much about going to Pantoja. I don't know what the internet was saying. I know there were some people that reached out to me and thought that Moreno won, but that was a close fight. But, I, you, you know, what do you think? I mean, obviously, I think, I don't even think you could say damage favored Moreno. I think that maybe if that made me, that's what's part of people's arguments. It's hard for me to say because I was there live. So I didn't see. Yeah, what was it like? What was it like when you're in the building? Because that's important. And people forget that, that when we're even when we're watching it on broadcast, it's sort of it's still even different than an audience watching in in the. In the yeah. You know, Moreno did what Moreno does very well. And that's get in the pocket. But I do think that like seeing the fight live, the high guard really kind of to work it really worked against him it opened up opportunities for pantoja to shoot and really cut the corner and get to the back really fast pantoja landed the harder shots i mean moreno had the volume but when when pantoja let him fly i mean they would connect they were kind of bouncing moreno all over the place and as, as much as we put an emphasis on damage the fact that he was able to control moreno for so much in that fight to get on the back to and it look it might not be the most appealing thing to the fans, but look, if you can ride a guy's back for a whole round, that that's a dominant position. To me, that 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 weighs um, th- there's a lot more credit to that than damage. I think that like, yes, Moreno would have moments on the feet, but then Pantoja would take him down and hold position for three and a half minutes. Well, I'm going to give it to the guy damage from who the controlled back. the round and won the round and dictated the round for three and a half minutes. By controlling him on the ground, by controlling him from his back. So yeah, I wasn't upset with the decision. 
I thought it was going to be honestly a split for Moreno, but like a bad split. Yeah. Like I was like, this is going to be a, this is going to be a controversial. This is going to be more, gonna be more controversial. Yeah. Way more controversial. Yeah. But Pantoja got the nod And the crazy thing to think, Paul, this was a weight class that we almost did away we with. Like we almost like there, we, we got rid of flyweights for a small increment of time. And now like, Every fight Moreno's in, Figueredo's in, Pantoja's in. These fights are so much fun. There's it's fireworks, man. And these guys are so skilled. You have to be so skilled with, with that weight class and mm-hmm. the movement, the, the speed. It, incredible. Um, yeah. we'll talk more about it. I'm sure there's going to be questions in our five rounds. So quickly, let's talk about Drickus Duplessis. Real real quick, we'll just say that I mean, I think a lot of people really counted him out. I I, I think yeah. he was and and you know who didn't? Drickus Duplessis. When you look back at how he was handling himself, how he talked about everything, how he's been talking since he's entered the organization about his goals and his dreams and his plans, he is laying them out and he's executing it. Now he's got this fight potentially set up with Izzy that's going to have all kinds of drama and fire. We talked about it, right? I mean, he jumped right in there. I mean, he made it happen. He, He wanted this and Izzy wants this more importantly. Izzy wants this, yeah. which makes it great. When two guys want the fight and are going to fight and there's bad blood, however, you know, we won't get into the why and what's going on and the countryness and all of that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and their, their native lands. The fight's going to be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I have the same agent as Drake is Duplessis and we were sitting together at the fights and Danny was ecstatic. And I have... Inside info as to what could be going on in Sydney, we will have a concrete answer by the end of the week. So we just need Drickus needs to get back. He needs to get back home to South Africa, get himself checked out. Uh, but the wheels are in motion um, for that fight going down in Sydney. So we'll see what happens. Nothing is for sure. Nothing is set in stone. But the wheels are in motion. Uh, look, and for anybody that counted out, Drickus Duplessis, nobody you can't hold it against him because look at who he's fighting he's fighting robert whitaker his only losses you know in the ufc are it was he lost to izzy twice and then he lost to i think that's it no he lost to somebody at welterweight matt brown no wasn't matt brown he lost to remember wonder boy but we'll, we'll proceed. I'm going to look it up. But either way, Robert Whitaker, his, his, he's shown nothing but dominance. And it's just easy to pick him to win that fight because of how skilled he is, how much of a tactician is. But Drickus used his physical attributes. He imposed his size. He imposed his power. And he found those openings. I thought if he makes it a messy fight, in between the exchanges is when he's going to find these openings to land the power shots. And he did just that. So yeah. – and it is exciting to see some new blood, you know, in title contention in the middleweight division. I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm here for it. Oh, it was Court McGee. Court McGee beat him. Court McGee oh. beat him in 2013. Yeah. So did Wonderboy. Well, that went well for Court. Sheesh. Yeah, for real. Um, yeah. And let's get right into five rounds, too, because we're going to have questions about all these things that happened at UFC 290. So, Cody, let's bring it up. First question is... What is Taporia's best game plan to beat Volk? This is a great question. Um, I'll go first. I think he's got two ways that I think he could even potentially try to do it. He's shown that he's got pretty dynamite boxing, right? And unreal power in those hands when he wants to let it go. But 
He's also a very slick jujitsu player, which he hasn't really gotten to showcase too much. But Volk being the powerhouse and the short stature that he has, I think his best way to potentially get Volk is to try to catch him on the feet and then maybe take it to the ground. I, I don't see him just taking Volk down at will or controlling him and setting up submissions like that. I think he's going to have to try to make it just a crafty, you know, stand-up striking battle and hope that he's the better striker in the pocket and in those boxing exchanges. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Side note, it was Corbin yeah. and Wonderboy. It's Corbin yes. and Wonderboy for, for the losses for Robert Whitaker. Back to Ilya Tapuria. Yeah, I think that he has got to use when you're when you're fighting Volkanovsky, you have to stick to your strengths. You have to stick to what's gotten you to that big fight. You can't make adjustments, especially against a guy as well-rounded as Volkanovsky. So I think for Tapuria, if anything, you got to focus on takedown defense. You got to make sure your takedown defense is on point. Because when you have that boxing style and you keep your hands high with that high guard, it opens up the legs. Just yeah. like we talked about with Moreno and Pantosha. So for Ilya Taporia, focus on the boxing, focus on the takedown defense, and stick to what's gotten you into title contention. Don't make any adjustments. Now is not the time for that. Sharpen your best blades. Work on your take de- takedown defense. That would be my advice for Taporia in a fight with Volkanovsky. Yeah. Yeah. Um... And for Volk, I think it's wherever he sees holes because he's made it pretty clear in, wow. in the little back and forth already that we've had from these two that he he thinks this one is uh, in the books for him if he wants to. I think Doporia needs to not say he's going to put him out in round one because I th- I think I don't think Doporia is just saying that. I think he's saying that with conviction. I think he really believes that. And you yeah. know what happens to fighters when they believe they're going to put away someone like that in one round. What happens when they get to rounds three and four? They melt. Yeah. So you're, he needs you're to change his tune it. and get ready for a tough fight if he wants to win that featherweight strap. I do love that though, and I did say a long time ago, man. I've been saying that Taporia was going to be the guy at featherweight. I don't want to. I don't want to say that I predicted these things, but I I, I, I predicted these things. Okay. <laughs> Ever since like the debut, I was like, that dude's legit. I hung out with him in London after his fight against uh, the British kid. Um, Jai Herbert, yeah. Uh, and I don't know what it is, but he has got it. As, uh, and Peter the Griffin crazy thing, too, that a lot of people don't know, Tapuri on the regional scene was, like, primarily a grappler. I remember during yeah. fighter interviews on Fight Island, I'm yes. like, oh, I'm studying this guy. I'm like, oh, this guy's a pretty slick physical submission artist. Well, knocks no, everybody out. He's, he's a very, very well-rounded mixed martial artist. Oh, man, can't wait for that one. Round two. As much as I love Moreno, oh, oh Cody, bring him back. As much as I love Moreno, how much of a classic that fight was. Time for some new blood, no immediate rematch, right? I'll take the reins on this. Yes. No, I think that for we can't get into this territory where every flyweight title fight is like number three, number four, quadrilogy, trilogy. Let's get some movement going. You know, Brandon Royville weighed in for UFC 290 as the backup. And who wouldn't tune in for that fight? I mean, Roy Ball is a like killer be yes. killed, live by the sword, die by the sword type of fighter. That'd be a lot of fun. He would push Pantoja in a lot of different ways. And let's give Moreno a chance to just kind of like regroup. Like he's been through so many tough fights. I mean, every yeah. fight he is in is an absolute dog fight. I mean, it's it's always almost a war when Moreno gets in there. Um so let him maybe get another win. You know, maybe let, let him get another win. And he's going to have to. I mean, the reality is, 
I know that they said that this was a rematch, but technically it was their third fight because the first was an exhibition on the Ultimate Fighter. So Moreno heads into that territory of like fighting another quadrilogy within a couple years span. So I think let these guys fight some new blood. Let Roy Ball get his chance. Maybe let Moreno kind of handpick somebody he wants to fight. Something to get his confidence back going. Just get him back in the win column and then maybe see if these guys meet again for a quadrilogy. I don't think anybody would complain yeah. about seeing that fight for a fourth time. I agree with I you, would. though. I, that's what I, I, you know, when I watched it, I was like, oh, we got it. You know, I was kind of in the boat of maybe it was so close. Let's give Moreno. But in sitting and thinking about it and thinking about even where Moreno's headspace might be himself, I think that the best bet is for there's some new blood at flyweight. There's some new fun contenders. Let's see these guys get matched up and mix it up a little bit. Let's see who's really going to emerge to be the next top three guys in this division instead of kind of rinse and repeat. It would be re refreshing, and I think it would be really good for the flyweight division. Even though all of these fights are unbelievably blood and guts, drag them out kind of fights, we still want to see new headliners. We want to see new challengers, right? It's just how we are as fight fans. We'd like to see... You know, a rematch is great, but third, fourths, mm -hmm. even if they're amazing fights, they can get a bit boring over time. Just seeing the same faces because the, then these guys start running out of things to even care about, you know, in the banter back and forth leading up to fights. New blood. I'm in agreement with Michael on that one. Round three. I love it. Round three. What do you do with Bo at this point? He's made easy work of everyone put in front of him so far, but is... uh but is still new to the sport. Do you continue a gradual ascent or toss him in the deep end with someone like Kelvin or Hermanson? It, it, this is a good one too, man. And we kind of talked about this, right? Leading into our roundup uh, before the pay-per-view on what's next if Bo makes easy work. Well, no matter who it was in front of him, you know, things changed obviously, but he still made very, very, he did exactly what you're supposed to do when you're a guy with a lot of hype and things change last minute and you get a guy that's fresh to come in and face. He destroyed him, right? And he did it with his hands, which adds new wrinkles. We've seen Bo do it before, but we know that obviously his collegiate wrestling background, his submission skills are what we've seen on display. D dude, I don't, I don't, he's still so fresh though in the game. I would like to still slow play him a little bit. I think you need to give him somebody with a name maybe still out of the ranks, a, a challenger for sure. Somebody with really good skills and a veteran of the game, but I don't know if it's somebody up in the rankings yet. I, one more, let's give him one more fight because it wasn't the fight that it was supposed to be. It was another switch. How do you feel? I, I think, I think he needs just, and not that he's not ready. I do think he's ready, but I just, he's such a prospect. He's such a kid that they can really get behind and push really big time. Why? I don't want to see it sabotaged. Look, here's the thing. He just fought a guy that was 7-0. Treshawn Gore was 5-2. So relatively close in record and experience between Treshawn and Val. Yeah. For Bo, this is funny. So I'm sitting at the fights. I'm sitting next to Josh Emmett. And we start talking about Bo Nickel. And I'm like, he's and, and he asks, you know, Emmett asks, does this guy have a chance? And I said, Definitely. I mean, if there's one thing Bo has shown where he kind of lacks is maybe speed and explosiveness. Like he's so good with his wrestling, but the way he fought Pickett, he just didn't look super fast, super explosive. And then I ate my words because he was so fast with his hands. He was so explosive with his in and out movements. And I just looked like a fool. So for me, I, 
I'm a little I'm a little different. I like the idea of the Hermanson fight. For some something about that fight sounds very enticing because Hermanson's long, he can grab he's a dog. He's, he's a, dog. a dog, he can fight. Maybe that's not the next fight for Bo, but I think that it's time to give him somebody that's knocking on the door of the top 15 because yes, we should slow play him and build him up, but in the same sense like I don't know how Bo feels about that as a competitor. Like this is a guy that I, I'm almost sure made the Olympic he team. Yeah. He wants to he wants to he would fight yeah. for the belt now if he had the choice. So I think slow playing Bo, it's up to him and the promotion to come to terms on what they both can agree on. I think because for him, also this, Michael, but also yeah. this. Like this. like everybody's always like, oh, like, you know, give him this. It's like, what is Bo making? Now, if he's under yeah. different contracts and he's already making some more money, then maybe he's willing to. But you got to realize that he's fresh to the organization. His contract could be potentially fresh. If it's not, then, yeah, maybe you give him somebody right outside the top 15 or right at the very bottom of it. But you and again, he's a competitor. He's not going to care. No. As, a, as a guy who's now retired looking outside of the sport, fight your fights that you're you're getting paid to fight. When you start getting yeah. a little more money, that's when you say, all right, I want to start working my way towards being a champion. But make sure you're getting yeah. compensated, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for Bo, I don't know how the structure. Of exactly. I have no idea. He fights his next fight. Usually if you're on a four-fight deal, you fight three. They renegotiate. So, yeah, maybe let's give him a guy that's right outside the top 15 or maybe somebody with a little bit of a name. Then we can kind of bolster the product a little bit and then get him a new deal, get him into the top 15, get us into round four. Cody, what do you got? Round four. How difficult is it to fight with a broken or fractured bone? And have you done that yourselves? Couldn't believe Hooker won that third round so handedly with the wrist break. Paul, (laughs) I know. I'm not the guy to answer that question. You're the guy to answer that question, Paul. So put some context. Let's hear about your experiences with the not one, but multiple times you fought with broken bones. I have fought with some damaged, damaged stuff before. I wish I had the photo uh, of my broken arm. Um, Oh, wait, I, I, maybe I can show it. Maybe we can get this on on camera can we see oh, that God. that's my ulna bone okay it's yeah, the ulna bone yeah. so i had pretty much the same exact break that that dan had now i didn't have as bad of a fracture in my face when i fought mike perry but i broke my arm um with the spinning back fist and it absolutely sucks and you know in re-watching it i could absolutely tell when dan started to notice it he did look at it at one point and you could see when he's grabbing um his opponent on the ground at points, he's not really, he's not really gripping. He's still throwing it because the adrenaline is surging. He's trying to, but I bet he felt like he just didn't have as much as he normally does there. Listen, Dan Hooker impressed the living crap crap out of me, man. Um, This is a guy that I've shared the octagon with and I have nothing but respect for. And I don't want to say I root for or against him in, in this division because, you know, as a commentator, I try to sit outside and, but I'm a fan. I'm a fan yeah. of, of of Dan Hooker and what he was able to do on Saturday night was beyond impressive. He is absolutely as tough as they come for anybody that's asking that question or one. It is misery. You just 
you feel like your arm is just kind of dangling there and you've got a guy who's throwing lots of kicks at you. He's very tall, oh, very powerful. Hard kicks at that. Hard, hard, how about hard the head kick. kick. How about the head kick, Dan, just ate to the face, which might have been when he broke his orbital because he broke this He broke this bone, this yeah. one. Yeah. He broke his cheek. I loved Hooker's uh, response. I had just a scratch. I'm like, dude, you boys from down under are cut from a different cloth, man. They're, like, they're, he is so tough. tough, man. And for Hooker, he's a guy where – the COVID era was really good to some fighters, like especially from down under. Like COVID era wasn't was was a good time for Izzy. COVID era was good for some people, but for Hooker, for, you know, for people that don't know, it, it was a really hard time to train down there. Like they had yeah. very very strict COVID restrictions. Hooker threw himself in there with guys like Dustin Poirier, Islam Mahachev. Like he did not not an easy fight in sight for him. So I feel like a lot of people counted him out, Michael especially Tanner. after the Arnold Allen fight. But look, he's pocketed two wins. Claudio Poyas, who's a young buck, but not 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 a big name. But the Jalen Turner win shows Dan Hooker's still one of the best guys at 155 pounds. Like people need to start count, stop counting this guy out and realize I'm not making excuses as to why things didn't go his way at a certain point in time. But it was a tough time to train, living down under. And he was fighting the absolute best guys with a less ideal training situation. Like I would, 100%. I would love to talk to Dan and be like, "Tell me how those camps were. Like, was there really even a camp at all?" So Dan would be another him, great guest. We got to get Dan on. Dan would be that a great guest. Right we got to give the man his flowers, though. He's still one of the best fifty-five pounders in the entire world. Period. I agree with Part. you, Michael. He's 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 blonde. Dan Hooker is a savage. Dan. I like it. I like the haircut. I didn't like it at first, yeah. but with the blood yeah. streaking down and your hair all stained red, I say keep that blonde hair. I liked it a lot. Round, keep it round, going. What we, round five? Round five. Round four. Wow. Round five. Do you think it's more beneficial for a fighter's career to earn their way into the UFC through Dana White's contender series or tough? Um, I can speak to that. Yeah, uh, you, you've done it. The tough contract's a lot longer. I'm not sure what the legalities and what what a, what a Dana White Contender Series contract looks like. But for myself, I I think that if you win the Ultimate Fighter, I think it's a great, I think it's a, a better path than the Contender Series because when you win the Ultimate Fighter, you're getting a chance to fight marquee names. They want to promote you. Um, but on the flip side you're going to get thrown into, into tougher fights a lot earlier. Like my, my second UFC fight after, so I fought my tough finale against Al, fought my UFC debut, debut at 157, and then I fought Hori Masvidal in my, my third UFC fight, technically. Things didn't go my way. So you get the push, you get a lo little more promotion, you get a little more, you know, they'll work with you on your matchups a little bit. But if you're somebody that's aspiring to be the best in the world, you're going to get there a lot faster. You know, I, I got yeah. I've gotten a chance to really get a crack at some of the best guys in the world a lot faster than other people. And it's because I won the ultimate fighter. So I think I'm a little biased. I think the ultimate fighter is the ideal path um, for, 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 for a fighter getting into the promotion. Yeah. And I, I think for me, just, you know, I haven't done either one, but I've worked on the contender series and I think they're both both great. But just to speak to the other side i think that the benefit of the contender series is that you get a showcase you don't have to live in the house 
you don't have to go through the grueling filming schedule and and the the maniacs that you have to live with but you get that showcase spotlight on tuesday night to go out there and impress the boss in one night the downside of that is that it's kind of like a lot of times it's your shot right and if you blow that you might be on the ultimate fighter take a loss go win some regional fights and come back a little easier i think than if you lose your contender series fight, especially if they're hyping you up and you're the A side and you can go out there and have a bad night. But either way, yeah. really the answer is if you're an inspiring fighter and you get either one of those opportunities, you have to take it. You have to try to seize it because everyone is wanting to get to the premier organization, which is the UFC. So if you get a call saying we want, you want you to come out and audition and come try to be on the ultimate fighter, take it. If you get that same call and say, hey, we got a matchup, we'd like to put you on the contender series, take it. You know, it's crazy. I fought six fights in a year. I fought six. I fought. It was 32 man bracket for tough. So I fought to get in, fought the round of 16 semis, quarters, finals, and then UFC 157, um, February 23rd. That's a lot of fights. That's a lot of fights. (laughs) And, and, you know, speaking of a lot of fights, now that five rounds are done, I just want to give give the man as well. I mean, Robbie Lawler, thank you for not breaking our hearts, right? We absolutely love you. If you're a fight fan, you love Robbie Lawler. You love what he has done for as long as he has done it. And to go out there, my man, on that stage with that much pressure, with a crazy man on the other side like Nico Price, who is always an underdog, comes in and can can really spoil the party, and you just get after it and you get it done. And you get a walk-off type KO to sail into the sunset at the end of your career. Dude, It I, I was – because obviously I had the race the next day. So I was calling it early and then going to watch yeah. it in the morning. And that was the last fight I watched before. I was like, okay, I'm going to catch up on everything tomorrow. I got to see Robbie yeah. Lawler walk off like that. Man, best yeah. case scenario. It got a little dusty inside team mobile. Yeah, dude. It did. I, uh, you know, I love this sport so much with every ounce of my being and a big part of my exposure to the UFC um, at an early age involved Robbie Lawler. I mean, (laughs) Paul, I was in middle school when he was fighting his UFC debut, you know? So it's like, this is a guy that I've spent over half of my life watching as I've been pursuing the sport, been a fan of the sport. And um, Robbie Lawler has been in some special fights. I was there when he fought Condit, the craziest round of my, I've ever seen round five against Condit. When he fought Roy McDonald, I was sitting with Juliana Pena in appearance. I bit a hole through the collar of my shirt because they were going back and forth. It was crazy. But just a storied career in the MMA gods blessed us with the exit we would all want. A vintage Robbie Lawler performance. Like that was the Robbie Lawler. That fight and what he did to Nico Price was what we saw when he made his USA debut against Aaron Riley. You know, the way he just came out guns blazing when he was just before he was even 21 he couldn't even get a beer after he won so for him to do what he did in in that manner and just go out on a win man amazing yeah uh a special, I think it was his ufc debut was there riley i'm pretty sure special sandwich shout out to uh to the man himself if robbie lawler was a sandwich what would he be mm. i'd say steak sandwich ah uh, yeah man robust steak be- sandwich with some zippy Horseradish, yeah, it would, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it would, man. Something solid and classic and always delicious and just (laughs) whatever it was, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good show. Being said, good show, 290 in the books. 
What's next? And I'll see you guys. I'm still doing roundup before I fight Kevin Holland at UFC 291. Oh, I'm still committed to the show. Whether oh, I, man. you know, so we'll get the oh. fight week roundup episode. It'll be a good one. Let's get through uh, camp, Michael. Stay, stay healthy, my friend. We're all. Uh, I mean, I'm super pumped. I'm glad I don't have to work that event. I can just uh, relax and and watch you do your thing and scream at my TV the whole time. So there you go. It's the best case. But yeah. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Remember, post your questions. Uh, we will also send out tweets leading up to Michael's fight and that pay-per-view and everything involved in it. But send us your questions, sandwiches, life-related. What's Michael eat during fight week? What's he eat afterwards? What's he dream about? Who knows? Ask us, and we'll try to answer it. Mm. Mm.